First, there are some crazy exhortations in here. And so we all got to deal with it because it's written to you and I, believers. So he writes here, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, and that's, that's, he's writing to you and me, the church. Sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you and to me. Beloved, he's, that's you and me, the church. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, that's where he was going to write. I found it necessary to write to you personally, to me personally, exhorting you to, to, to contend earnestly, it's a wrestling term, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord Jesus into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved, okay, he's writing to the church, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward, say it, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, I mean, they're in the face of God Almighty, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Controversial verse right there. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities among them in a similar manner to those having given themselves over, they weren't born that way, please underline that in your Bible, having given themselves over, so critical the church doesn't lose sight of what's happening here. And have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Church, that's God's word. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, we want to have hearts to receive what you want to speak to us. And Lord, we want to have faith to live it out. But Lord, we'll we know we'll never do it in our own strength. So God, would you just pour your Holy Spirit out upon us. You'd empower us to, Lord, not only hear and to receive your word, but then to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is The Need to Finish Well. You have to finish well. The, the first word here, in, in, we'll call it verse 1 of chapter 1 in Jude, it says Jude. That's what it might say in your Bible, but in every Bible program you look up, it says Judas. And, and I, I get that. I mean, who would want to be known as Judas in Jesus' day, right? You know, the traitor. So I can, I can kind of see why Jude inter introduces himself as, as Jude here. And he says he's a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, he could have said Jude, a half-brother of Jesus and brother of James. So I like this. He doesn't use his position that he grew up in as, as a brother with Jesus to get ahead. No, he takes the term bondservant. The doulos, that's the Greek word. It's the under rower. If you watch the Ben-Hur movies, it's the guys that are chained to the oars. Moving the boat forward, they're the doulos. And so Jude here says that he is voluntarily selling himself out to his master to faithfully serve him all the days of his life. That's what a bondservant is. That's who you and I are. You know, Jesus calls us out of sin. We surrender our life to him. We're now his bondservants because he's now the Lord over our lives. This James that he says he's a brother of, it's not the Apostle James. He was beheaded in chapter 12 of the book of Acts. This James is the one who wrote the book of James, in the, if you look backwards. He's also another one of Jesus' brothers. Now, you may think, no, Jesus didn't have any brothers. Well, listen to Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. The people are questioning Jesus. Hey, where does your authority come from? This is what Jesus, this is what they're saying. Is this not the carpenter's son? It's not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas. 
and his sisters. Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get these things? You see, Jesus had siblings. Only from his mother's side, though, because Jesus' father was God. So if you believe Mary was a virgin all her life, I'm sorry. The Bible doesn't teach that, and Mary herself does not support that view because Mary says that she needed a Savior. So it kind of messes up people's view, but not when you bring him back in the Bible. Now, the important thing to notice here is who Jude is writing to. It's really important. So he says to those who he's writing to, to those who are called. And I add, called by the Holy Spirit. So he's writing to you and I as believers. That is, if you're called. You know, if you are part of this called, then he's writing to you. It says, sanctified by God. Because that's what happens when Jesus calls you and you respond to that call. And are preserved in Jesus Christ. So you got a sweet little picture of the Trinity there. you got the Godhead that brings about our salvation. But what I want to look at first, it says, to those who are called. And see, only you know if you were called. Only you know if you were going, I was going this way, I was doing my own things, and God called me, and I went 180 degrees opposite of the way I was going, because all I was doing was heading down the toilet. And God called me. And I responded to that call. The Bible says that nobody comes to the Father unless they're called. And obviously, it's the Holy Spirit's job to call men. In John chapter 16, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come into the world and convict the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. And he'll convict them seeking to call them to himself into a relationship to those who are called. That's why today at the baptism, those who are getting baptized are those who have been called by Jesus. What what about me? I I haven't been called. Well, then maybe you're not going to be called. Well, that's not fair. The argument goes, well, then turn to Jesus and find out you probably are called. What if I don't want to turn? Well, then you're probably not called. Well, that's not fair. Well, then turn to Jesus and find out you are. What if I don't want to? Well, you're probably not called. And the argument just goes on and on and on and on. But this says to those who are called, I as a man can share the hope of the gospel with you, but the Holy Spirit can only bring the man to God. So see, that's why there's no pressure. We go out, we share the gospel with people. It's God's job as to whether or not he's going to call him to himself. We read in Romans chapter 3 that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God, Romans chapter 3. I hope you realize, and see, when we come to worship, Well, first of all, when we would worship, if we realized that we were called by God, we would all be in here. Man, we got to worship the King of Kings. We got to worship the one who called us. And there would be some excitement in our hearts. If we truly, I mean, just think about it. If God didn't call you, you would be going to hell right now. I mean, think about it. That's the truth. And yet he's called us. Can you see why there should be a little reason of going, woohoo? A little excited, you know, just a little. (laughs) Just a little. Man, if God didn't call us, we'd be out serving a little idol today. Think about it. That's crazy. Now, you might be here this morning because the Holy Ghost is calling you. My encouragement to you is respond to that call. Answer that call. Say yes to Jesus. Because like I said, nobody comes. You might have been invited. No, no, God's got a plan. In the first message preached in the early church, Peter told the people, for the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, that's us, as many as the Lord our God will. Oh, see, you knew the word. (laughs) So don't think that somehow you just kind of walked in and chose Jesus. No, Jesus called you. And you respond to that call. I, I've met people, oh no, I was, I was born a believer. No, that's kind of, a, kind of a religious point of view there. No, you're born a sinner and the Holy Spirit was calling you and you said, yes, that's salvation. And when you said yes, Jude tells us here that you were sanctified. It's a great word, big religious word. You're made holy. When you said yes in your heart to Jesus, You were sanctified by God the Father. You were made holy 
by an act of God Almighty when you said yes to Jesus. And the reason I know why that God did all of this is because all of this is in the passive voice. And see, passive means you get to receive it. Active is you doing it. Passive is receiving it. And so as Jude writes here, he puts it all in the passive tense, that you receive these things when you said yes to Jesus. You're made holy by an act of God the Father when you said yes to him. It's all passive voice. So Christian, you received all of these things from God. You didn't work for it, but you received them when you said yes to Jesus. And notice what it says here next. You are preserved in Jesus Christ. That's what happens at salvation. Preserved. As you and I abide in Christ, abide in that relationship that God's called us to, he's going to watch over us and he's going to guard us and he's going to keep us. That's why we read in the Bible that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's going to make it happen. So stay close to him. And here's why it's so important that you and I stay close to him. Because the Bible expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He's writing to the church. You can't fall away from something if you're not even a part of something. And Jude kind of talks about these that have crept into the church, teaching these doctrines of demons and deceiving things. Now that you're in, God wants you to walk in it. See, God's not looking for volunteers. God's looking for soldiers. Because he's called you and I to fight. Now, we don't fight physically. No, we fight spiritually in the spiritual realm. You know, if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, it says, now that you possess the spiritual armor, it says, stand, stand, withstand, and stand some more. We're called to fight. Maybe you have people that are lost. Hey, you fight. You get in there and you pray, pleading with God to save them. Because if God does it, no one else can You know, none of us should be content here to just kind of be in and go, well, I'm in the game now and I'm I'm good. No, no, no. God's called us to fight, not to sit. And as you do, verse 2 takes place in you. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You know, Jude's not content to just that mercy, peace, and and love would be there, but he he wants it multiplied out in our lives. You know, mercy is is not getting what you do deserve. You know, you got the guy, he's there before the king, and the king's getting ready to cut his head off, and the and the guy goes, Mercy, mercy. And the king goes, Okay, I won't get you, I won't give you what you do deserve. Peace, you're only gonna find that in Jesus. The world is looking for peace, trying to find peace, goes to all these places, paying all this big money, trying to get peace in their lives. No, peace is only found in Jesus Christ. And then obviously love, agape, self-sacrificing love. That's what Judas pleading with these people that would, it would be multiplied out in their lives. And as you live under the lordship of Jesus that way, it's just going to explode in your life. So that's kind of his introduction. And then he says, beloved. That's a believer. You and I as believers should know that we are the beloved of God, that God loves us. He sent his only son to die for us, to prove to us how much he loves us. And so he says, beloved, while as very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. And so here's what's going on. This, he was going to write this way. He was moving this way. But then all of a sudden, God totally redirected his thought because of what was happening in Christianity at that time. And so he says here, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, to call you near, to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. That was 2,000 years ago when they were called to earnestly contend for the faith. And so what started out as this nice little letter about their salvation, the Holy Spirit is turning into a battle cry because we're in a war. If you haven't looked around our world lately, we're in a war. And guess who's winning? The world is. Guess who's losing? You and I that are are the salt and the light. We're losing. We're losing ground. We were just at a marriage conference and Mike McIntosh, the pastor at San Diego, challenged the men in the church to stand up and make a wall of righteousness. We're losing. The church, Jesus says, when the church loses its salt, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out into the dung heap. We're losing. But that's the battle cry today, is that you and I would contend earnestly for the faith. And team, this is all present tense in our lives. 
You go look at the verbs, tenses, all present tense. So this needs to be present in our lives from the moment that we come to Christ all the way through till we arrive in heaven. This word contend earnestly means to struggle for. It's a wrestling term. And the church needs to get in the game and contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. It's our time. Jude wrote it to them 2,000 years ago, but now it's our time. It was once their time, but now it's our time. And church, if you don't do it, who will? If the church today doesn't contend earnestly for the faith, who's going to? The non-believer? The cults? The world religions? No doubt, as the church goes, so goes the culture. And so as Peter writes, it's high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Amen? I mean, that's true. Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed, because you could go home tomorrow, or the rapture could happen, you know, next week. And, and we're closer to that deadline. And yet God wants you and I to contend earnestly for the valuable faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. What's happening is the church is mixing with the world rather than contending earnestly for the faith. And so that's how the church is being weakened. It's from inside. It's not from attacks from the outside in. No, it's from what's going on in the inside. See, the believers in God's house needs to hold their ground and not give in. And each one of us have to live and do our point, our part. Nobody gets a pass here. Jude obviously is hearing about this poison entering the church, so, and so the Holy Spirit's deriding him to write this, and so he's encouraging those who are called and sanctified and preserved in Jesus Christ to hold fast to the truth that had already been delivered. Because if you haven't noticed, truth is being changed in the church. There's a lot of talk about God, not a lot of talk about Jesus these days. Even on radios and things, a lot of talk about God, but not a lot of talk about Jesus. Now, how do we contend for the faith? Good question. We do that by how we live our lives. So you and I become examples of Christ to the world all around us, at work, at play, at home, in the neighborhoods, at the parks, at the shopping malls, at church, wherever we go. We're saying, hey, look, follow me because I'm following Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul says, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. So you and me today, we get to say, hey, imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And this is where it's so critical that we live out not what we think, but what God has already said. It's critical. So we do this by how we live our lives. We do this by telling people about Jesus. Because listen, those that are around you that if you say, like if I was to come up and say, hey, do you know if that friend of yours is going to heaven? If you were to say, I don't know, dude, that's all on you. How, how, could, how could you not know? You should be able to say yes or no. Look, if you don't want to talk to your friend in person, send them an email, send them a card, send them a, a track in the mail, send it anonymously. You know, be there when they open it. Oh, what is that? <laughs> I don't, but I mean, come on, seriously, we should know. We should know. That's contending earnestly for the faith. Share the gospel with those you meet. If that's not your thing, then get, it, get some tracks, you know, little Christian tracks, and you can just kind of say, here you go, and just kind of walk on by or something. Hold up the pastor's hands, because that pastor's hands get tired and many times just want to quit. It's critical. You know, you and I are called here in this place to walk and to live out, and it's up to you and I to do something. I mean, if we're part of the called, so we have to do something. And as you contend earnestly for the faith, for the gospel, which we're all saved by today, it places this squarely upon you. Because I want you to look at something here in verse 3. Look at the pronouns. They're not we. They're not us. If they are we and us, we could go, oh, someone else is going to do it. No, no, no. This is everybody starting from the back row all the way to the front row. Look what it says. It says, write to, say it, you. Write to you, exhorting you. That's one person. 
So everybody, see, so you know what you can, well, that's my wife's thing, or that's my husband's thing, or that's my mom's thing, or that's my dad's thing, or, or uh, that's my kid's thing. No, 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 no. This is all of our thing, if we've been called. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 just for a moment. Just spin back about 30 pages. You'll probably get there in your Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes something very similar. He says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it, with thanksgiving. And that's the faith that Jude is calling you and I to contend for. The same one Paul is calling the believers to be abounding in, and for good reason. Look at the very next verse, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you. See, if I'm not contending earnestly for the faith, it's, I'm, I'm easy picking for someone to come in and rip you off. Again, he's writing to the church. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. There is plenty of that in the church today, right here. Plenty of it in the world. Plenty of it under the banner of Christian something. Oh, I can go there because they're Christian something. Got to be careful. See, if we're not contending earnestly for the faith, it is going to be real easy for anybody in God's house to be swayed off course that Jesus has set up before us in these last days that we're all living in. So we have to contend for it. We have to contend for the faith. In the last days, the true gospel is preached, but mankind, they're not going to like it because they don't like that one. Give us a different one. Your gospel is divisive. Give us something new. Just don't give us the Jesus thing. And so they're going to come up with a new improved faith, and it's happening all around us today, team. Things like, oh, I believe in God, and I believe he allows me to live any way I want to live. I've heard that. Oh, I believe. I'm sharing Jesus. Oh, I believe. Uh, okay, um, what do you believe? Oh, I believe. No, what do you believe in? Oh, I believe. <laughs> okay. Oh I, oh, I believe in God, and I'm going to heaven. Oh, really? How are you getting there? We live in this climate here by being good. Listen, this morning, if you think you're going to heaven by being good, let me, let me remind you of something. Jesus died for sinners. If there was another way to get into heaven, then why did the Father send his only son? Nobody's getting into heaven by being good. Now, as Christians, should we be good? Yes. We should be, but nobody's getting into heaven by being good. And 99% of the people around this part of the world, they believe that. Just like in the Philippines or in Mexico. Yeah, we're going to be good. Oh, I, I believe in God, that he accepts each one of us just as we are, because after all, God is a God of, oh yeah, that's a big one. It's happening all around us. But see, if we don't, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What, what did you just say? Yeah, I, I, that's true. But then why did Jesus have to die? If you could do all these things and think your own theology and live the way you want to live, well, then why did Jesus have to die? See, I'm contending earnestly for the faith now. I'm just speaking truth back into somebody's kind of mixed up theology. See, just because someone says, I believe in God, it doesn't mean anything today. Listen to James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God? Hey, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. You see, so many in the last days, when they say they believe in God, they don't tremble over their sin. And why? Because they have no fear of God in them. And yet the, or the demons, they, they believe in God and they tre and tremble. It's crazy. And the reason why people don't tremble is because they made it up themselves. They've made up their own gospel. So, so, so they're just listening to themselves today. And they think they're okay because they've created this thing by themselves. And yet you, you and I are all called individually by God to live by, to, to proclaim, and to let our light shine in public as we hold fast to the faith. That gospel that was originally preached 
that was delivered by all the apostles. Verse 4 down tells us why we must presently all the time in your life be about God's business on contending the faith for the faith that we all possess. Look what it says. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Crept in where? Into the world or into the church? Into the church. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. Oh, no, it's okay. You can live that way. And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we're not going to talk about Jesus. And this is why Jude changed the course of his letter. Because God could see what was happening. Unnoticed is what makes them dangerous. No one saw them coming in. See, they don't walk in with a nice little uh, name tag that says, Hi, I'm dangerous. They don't. They creep in unnoticed. So how did they get in here unnoticed? I'll give you a few reasons why. Paul tells Timothy, they have a form of godliness but deny its power. Jesus says in Matthew, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly the ravenous wolves. See, wolves eat sheep. Paul tells Titus, they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. So they come in talking the talk. Maybe even, you know, they got a little work here and there. They come in just enough to get people to notice them. And then they show up in the home group or the coffee shop or wherever Christians are assembling and they lay out their twisted doctrines and those doctrines always appeal to my flesh. Really? Really, that's okay? Oh no, I thought that was wrong. Oh no, that's why Jesus died. But we're saved by grace. And yet today at the baptism, we will say, oh, I just went brain dead. We will say, what shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And you will say, certainly not. For how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But see, this is what they'll say. Oh, no, you're okay. They'll water it down. See, I don't believe God is revealing new truth today like some proclaim. I mean, the church today doesn't even have the old truth down, so why is God going to give us something to reveal something new? Pastor Chuck would say this, how about new experiences in the old truth, but not new truth with wacky experiences? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, lest you be puffed up. See, there's plenty here. We'll never learn this in our lifetime. I believe it's not, if it's not here, it's somebody's fantasy. And I've heard that God is revealing new truth that is relevant to our culture today. And that sounds pretty cool. Wow, God's revealing new truth to our culture. It sounds good. But they're, what they're really doing is turning the grace of God into lewdness. Which means when they sin, there's no longer any guilt or shame because I've been told, no, it's okay. Hey, and here's what they say. See, your body is going to die and go back into the dust. But your soul and your spirit's going to go into heaven. So we sin in our body, so it doesn't really matter how we live our lives because this thing's going to fade away anyway. So hey, just go on out there. Get it on. Have fun. Because after all, we're Christians. We should have fun. And then they, they'll look at Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, look, I'm not doing the things I should be doing. I'm doing the things I'm not doing. You know, oh, and then he goes, hey, there's this law in me. That sin is present in me. And so I'm doing the things. And they go, look, right there. So see, even Paul says it's okay. But they don't read the end of the chapter where Paul says, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? And then he says, but thanks be to God. But see, they only look at certain portions. And let's face it, sin is fun, otherwise nobody would do it. But it's also destructive. And God's called us to stay away from it and to allow him to change us. The new truth that I've heard out in the church that is so relevant today to our culture is that it's okay for Christians sleeping together before marriage. Listen, that's blasphemy. Because God says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And yet here's the crazier one. Oh, it's okay to divorce in your mind and marry another. I mean, how, how could you actually believe that? Hey, it's, it's okay, just divorce in your mind. You know, yeah, you, you can't find that person or whatever. And Here, let me marry you. Who, how could that even happen? 
It's happening today by at least one Calvary Chapel pastor I know. How's that possible? I have no idea. I encourage you guys like Jude, be true to the scriptures. Don't allow them to come in unnoticed. Take notice. Contend with them lovingly and earnestly. If they're confused, rightly divide the scriptures for them. It'll clear things up. And if they're seeking to creep in unnoticed, when they're spotted, they'll take off. Because that's their game plan, coming in unnoticed. The only way I can think that you and I can deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ is to reduce the Godhead to God. Don't use the word Jesus. No, no. He's so, just not him. He's so divisive today. Listen, without Jesus, we don't have a gospel. For God sent his only son to die for the sin of the world that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You got to have Jesus if you're going to heaven. Otherwise, all you got is some hybrid religion that you made up. The church back then was being infected from the inside, from people exploiting grace and denying Jesus, and a healthy body that won't purge itself of its poisons will eventually die. That's why it's critical for you and I. You know? We're not going to judge the world. And again, let me just kind of set this straight. This is, has nothing to do with our Bible study. The, the church is called to deal with what's in the church and love those in the world. But today what's happening is we let whatever we want goes in the church and we judge the world. It's totally backwards. Oh, wow, they, did you hear those people? The way they're talking. They're lost. How can you expect them to get it right? They're lost. Oh, did you see the sunset down at the beach? No, I can't. I'm blind. How can I expect a blind person to see the sunset or the sunrise? They're blind. And that's how you were before you turned to Jesus. You're blind. And all of a sudden you see. That's why we're called to love them and share the gospel with them. It's the great hope. It's the great truth that we possess. This is the wake-up call to those who are called, sanctified, and preserved. It was a wake-up call 2,000 years ago. It's a wake-up call to you and I today. And now Jude is going to serve up three well-known examples to put a little passion into his message as well as three object lessons to his audience that God's judgment will happen against these ungodly people that have crept in. Look at verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward, okay, key word is saved, afterward, Key word is destroyed. Well, how's that possible? Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. See, if the early church needed to be reminded of things, these simple things that they knew, please don't despise those things when we hit on them or think, oh, yeah, they're not for me. I got that. That can easily become pride in our life and, and, and take a man or woman down. If God saw fit to remind the early believers of things they once knew, we should welcome those things as well. We should see these reminders all the way through the New Testament. We do. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says this, For this reason I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul, in writing to Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. Even Peter, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. So if Jude, Peter, and Paul are pushing the reminder message, when we come across them, team, Please don't close your heart off to that and go, I already know that. No, God may want to do a new experience with an old truth in your heart. But if you go, oh, I know that. I'm just going to take a private nap, mini nap right now. No, you may miss out on what God wants to do. Open your heart up to God and allow him to take an old truth and expand it and blow it up in your heart in new ways. Reminder object lesson number one, verse five. That the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them because they did not believe. When Moses led the people out of Egypt, think about it, they're in bondage, they're, they are slaves. They witnessed God's hand of protection and provision time and time again. It was, about a, it was a short journey, but God took the long way, so it was about a two-year journey to get to the promised land. 
But when they got to the edge of the promised land, they became afraid of the boogeyman and they took their eyes off the Lord and they put them squarely on themselves and they said, we are not going in. Well, that's crazy. They had been set free from their sin, from slavery. They are standing at the land flowing of milk and honey. Some of them had even tasted the fruit, but because of their unbelief, they chose not to finish the race. That was marked out before them. There's a lot of Christians that start and a lot of them that don't finish. You got to finish. These didn't make it in because they didn't believe God at his word. So what does God do? He destroys a million plus people, all those who are 20 and above. That's crazy. Even though in their minds they could see it. I mean, they were there. They could see it. All they had to do was get across the Jordan. Some had tasted it with their lips. Even though they'd started so well, think about where they started. They celebrated the Passover, they plundered the Egyptians, and then they're going out. Where are we going? I don't know, something about the promised land, and, and they're all going, and they don't finish well. Well, how? how? By refusing to endorse it in their hearts, and by refusing to believe God at his word, they were destroyed. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians about this, the Jews' exodus, says this. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. See, they got turned sideways and started lusting after going back and other things rather than God's thing. And that can happen in our lives. Man, we can start lusting after other things instead of God's things. But here's what I want us to think about. My belief brings about action in my life. It may sound simple, but it's simply revealing about my own walk with Jesus. My belief always brings about what is important to me by what I believe in. Whatever I pour my heart and life and soul into is what I believe in. Now, I can lie to myself, but my actions will, let, will never lie to me about what I believe. Just like the actions of the Israelites as they, as they stood at Kadesh Barnea. They're getting ready to go over and they said, no, I'm not going to do it. They didn't believe the, the God who had brought them out of bondage from Egypt, so they didn't cross over the Jordan River. See, belief or believe is a principle that governs the universe. If I believe my tomato plants outside need water or they're going to die, I'm going to. I'm going to water them. If I believe my body needs food or it will die, I feed it. If I believe I need a daily time with the Lord in his word to keep me on the straight and narrow, I have one. And if you don't, please help me understand why not. I'm not saying to condemn anybody, but this world wants to, in the church, it's so crazy. It wants to pull you away. You need something every day to refocus and keep you on the straight and narrow. And so if you are not reading through the scriptures yet, you got to start. Because otherwise, how are you going to be able to determine the truth from the lie? If you know the truth, you go, oh, nah, that doesn't sound right because of this. But if you don't know the truth, then you could easily be led away as a casualty of war. But if I believe I need a daily time with Jesus to keep me on this right now, I'm going to do it. See, what I do is at the core of what I believe. The Israelites didn't believe the Lord God Almighty, thus they didn't go in. Because what I believe is what I do. Amen? It is. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Basket weaving, scuba diving, whatever. Whatever I believe is what I do. And Jude is telling us here that they are an example to us. Many Christians who've been delivered from Egypt or sin by the blood of the Lamb, they've even experienced the power of Jesus freeing them from sin, and they've passed through the waters of the Red Sea in baptism. But because of their failure to obey and finish the race, they failed to come in and lay hold of the promised land that God had set out for them simply because of their refusal to walk in the Spirit with God. I mean, it's tragic on two counts. The reminder to you and me here is to finish well. And those who crept in unnoticed, who might have started well, like the Israelites, they're going to be judged. These guys that have, gals that have crept in unnoticed, seeking to destroy, they're going to be judged. Reminder object lesson number two to the creepers who have crept into us, verse six. And the angels. 
Because they did not believe God, but instead believed the devil's lies, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Now certainly, it says he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. It's not all the fallen angels because otherwise they wouldn't be able to hassle us because the devil can only be in one spot at a time. So this has to be a certain segment of angels. So who is this? Who are these angels that have been reserved in everlasting chains under darkness? I'll give you my ideas about a very controversial passage. And then you can check it all out with your Bible. As I was reading through my Bible as a brand new believer, I'm in Genesis 6, and I'm reading about this passage here in Jude. I didn't even know it tied into Jude, and I didn't even know there was a controversy. And And I'm going, God, who are these people? And God spoke to me. And then years later, you find out, oh, hey, that's one of the sides of the controversy. And so that's the way we're going to look at it today. But you have your Bibles before we go through this. You check it out, Acts 17, 11. Don't believe anything I say. Check it back into the Word of God. It says the angels left their first abode. And they're now chained, awaiting judgment. The application to you and I is they left something really good and they chose something really bad. So what did they do? Or where did these angels go that these saints that the Jude is writing to, obviously they knew about them. So it has to be something in the Old Testament that Jude is writing to them because the Bible wasn't formed yet. But it also has to be something in the New Testament seeing that they are kept in chains under darkness for the judgment of this great day. But why keep some angels chained but not all? Well, I believe Genesis chapter 6 is the answer. If you turn there for a minute, we're going to look at this. And we're going to key in on three words. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. That's the context. We're talking about childbirth. When men began to multiply, and here's the word, that the sons of God. Who is that? Well, you only get two choices here on what sons of God means here. You can pick the godly line of Seth that intermarried with the ungodly line of Cain, which has many holes in that theory, like too many to shoot at, or you can pick fallen angels. And that's what we're going to pick. We're going to pick fallen angels. We've covered this in detail when we taught Genesis chapter 6, when we went through it. If you want that, you can get it from the media guys. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, some of the fallen angels, obviously not all, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose for childbirth, I add. And the Lord said, because God's not kind of down on their whole program here, said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. Yeah, because they came out of these ungodly unions between the angels and the daughters of men. Also afterward, when the sons of God or some of the fallen angels came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, context is still childbirth. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and God destroyed it. Now, if you turn back to Jude and key in on verse 6, Jude tells us that there were angels that left their first home, their primary residence. Look up the Greek words. They're interesting. But where did they go? And where are they now? Well, these angels left their proper home and cohabitated with women. That's what Genesis 6 is pointing out to us. It's part of the reason why God judged the earth. The fallen angels were messing around with God's creation, and these giants were born. And they wouldn't stop. Remember the, remember the, the pigs, and Jesus shows up, and the demons, are, he meets the demon, demoniac, and, and the demons go, look, if you cast us out, don't cast us out into the abyss. Cast us into the, the pigs. Why don't they want to go there? Why do they want to go here? It becomes its own Bible study. And so some of these angels, they wouldn't stop. And so God has those fallen angels chained. And we will see them when we go through the book of Revelation. 
You have your Bible, go search it all out. It's pretty interesting. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, Genesis 6, when the angels of the fallen angels were cohabitating with men, when they were messing around with God's creation, as it was in the days of Noah. You know, we have this whole, uh, um, oh, you know how they're making uh, animals and stuff by cloning? They're messing around with God's creation. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it will be when I come. People will be messing around with my creation. Luke 17, 1 Peter 3, go check them all out. To you and I, what this means is we need to pay careful attention to what we were saved in and we need to seek to stay there and not go looking after weird things. Just don't, don't travel into those things like the angels did. Stay in the love of God. Don't choose to rebel like the angels did. See, these angels stood in the presence of the living God at one time. I mean, that, I mean when you think about it, and, and, and then they sinned, but they only got one choice. They can never come back and say, God, please forgive me. No, it's one choice. And some of them are locked up awaiting to be used in God's judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. Object lesson number two. Here's number three, verse seven. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner, to these having given themselves over. You, you should underline that. First of all, people aren't born that way. If people are born that way, then that means they're automatically condemned. You know, they're born that way. They can never change. That means God's can literally condemned them at birth. That, that doesn't fly with the rest of the Bible. No, it says that they gave themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh as set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why we have laws called sodomy. It comes right here. It comes out of June. It comes out of Genesis chapter 19. So this is all New Testament here. And this isn't Old Testament law. No, this is New Testament. And this is going to happen. It's happening. And this is why it's so critical to preach the truth team. God's order was a man and a woman. We know the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have to kind of guess at what that is. Genesis 3.16, after the fall, God said to Eve, your desire will be for, your, for the man. And then the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing, Genesis 19. And if you really want it black and white, just go read Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, or Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Or in the New Testament, go read Romans chapter 1, verse 26, 27. And it says that they suppressed the truth of God, and so God gave them over to ungodly flesh. Just like, it's what they wanted. Now, let me say this before we get too far. Does God love the homosexual? Absolutely yes. He does. And you and I should. If you and I, the church, judge them, then you are a Pharisee. Well, that's kind of harsh. I know, but it's true. <laughs> if we judge them, we're Pharisees. You know, here's what I think is happening in the church today. We, oh, it's a movie. Oh, but that was just good old-fashioned sexual immorality. So it's okay, but oh, but this, oh, that's ungodly. Man, listen, they're both ungodly. They are. Now, does God love, accept, or tolerate, tolerate the homosexually? homosexuality, positively no way. He doesn't accept it. He doesn't tolerate it. And he doesn't love it. But he loves them. And it's the same for us. We've got to separate in our own lives the sin from the sinner in object lesson number three here. It's critical, church, or you'll become judgmental. The amazing thing about Sodom, you know, is that it was a very extremely fertile ground. So Abraham and Lot are standing there, and Abraham says to Lot, hey, Lot, you pick first. You, if you're going that way, I'll go this way. If you go this way, I'll go this way. And Lot saw that the land was fertile, easy, not, not much work. So Lot chose that. The people didn't have to work real hard at producing crops because the land was already fertile. And even though they had many natural advantages inside them, they obviously must have got bored with life because of the ease of living and started messing around with unusual experiences just like the angels in Genesis 6, messing around with unusual things. And those in Sodom in Genesis 19, they failed to keep themselves in the love of God. And thus they didn't allow the love of God to be multiplied in their hearts. So they went after strange flesh. They're trying to fill that place of love in their hearts. But the problem is, is when they 
people travel that way today. They think, this is going to fulfill me. They find out that they are emptier inside. Because the only thing that will satisfy and fill a heart today is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you turn to Jesus and say, yes, I believe, Jesus comes in and he'll satisfy. He'll fulfill. These things are written for our reminders. But you have to keep walking with God, team. You have to finish the same way you started with really no exception. Well, maybe one exception. You and I should finish more in love with Jesus than when we started. When we come in and we gather, we should finish more in love with Jesus because we realize, man, we are in. And that's what's awaiting those who are out. But that should do something in us to want us to go out. Three illustrations why we should be, why we need to be loving. We got these three illustrations of those who did not. And, this, and it needs to stir something in our hearts today. So I don't really know where everyone is at. I only know if I've talked to you, but let me, let me say this. Jesus has you here because he wants to bring you into this amazing living relationship with God. He does. You know, you may have prayed a prayer before or went forward an altar call, but you know in your heart you never turned to Jesus. You have to turn. You can't just go up, you know, because here's what's happening. Hey, did you break up with your boyfriend today? Hey, come and meet Jesus. Hey, are you having marriage problems? Come and meet with Jesus today. He wants a relationship with you. No, no, no. It's, it's do you recognize that you're a sinner and your sin is separating you from God and God is present in your life and he's calling you to turn to Jesus that your sin could be totally put away, cast as far as the east is from the west? And do you want to respond to that? Will you turn to him and allow him to be the Lord of your life? That's, that's what saves me. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord of your life and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But he's got to be Lord. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, we're thankful that you've kept your word for us.